expectations were high for the new season of The Late Late Show. The new host, Patrick Keelty, is a comedian. So would he do a joke-heavy monologue? And we're trying out a brand-new format tonight on the show where the host gets to ask the questions instead of having to answer them at the Oireachtas. <laughs> yes. This is where the RTE executives in the green room realise they might have booked the wrong pony. Would he plunder his star-filled address book to bring some glamour to the guest roster? He's been living in LA and London. Please knock it over the bar for the two Johnnies! <laughs> question is, can Keelty do enough to breathe new life into the flagship show of a broadcaster dogged by controversy and halt its declining ratings? This is in the news from the Irish Times. I'm Bernice Harrison. Today, Irish Times writer Hugh Linnan gives his take on the first Late Late Show. Hugh, we're coming to this having had time, having had time to think about what we thought about Friday night's Late Late Show. What did you think? Time for reflection. Yet there have been plenty of hot takes over the last 48 hours or so, and and some of those have been quite interesting too. So I think it is good to sit back, uh, look at all that reaction as what I was watching it on Friday. I was keeping an eye on social media as well, and then see where are we now. And I suppose it's fair to say that the the one-line description of that overall reaction is that Patrick Kilty did pretty well, but the problems of the Late Late Show have not gone away. Okay, so let's talk about Patrick Keelty doing very well. I agree. I I thought he was very warm. I thought he was very easygoing. I thought he was very light. I thought he brought all that to it. What do you think? Well, he's obviously a very different kind of a host. Um, He is a stand-up comedian. And in a way, The Late Late Show, which was always plagiarised from a certain format of American chat show, is kind of going back to that in a way. So you have the opening monologue from the comedian. And that was pretty sharp and pretty good. Great to be here. So nice to finally get started, because as you all know, folks, the Late Late Show has been off air now for almost four months. Well, I uh, will say off air. It's um, <laughs> it's been on Morning Ireland, Prime Time, <laughs> Lifeline. He was generally regarded as having a good job of having done a good job of putting the boot into RTE, which I think he did. Everything in here tonight is new. We've got a new opening. We've got a new logo and we've got a brand new house band for you folks. Give it up for Grant Thornton and the flip-flops. He certainly didn't didn't hold back. So that, on that taps into the mood of the nation. Yes, I think there's that. He also Though the audience seemed a bit stunned, actually. The audience didn't laugh immediately. There was a bit of a oh. Well, let's be honest, the Late Late Show have not been very funny for a very long time. So maybe they just, you know, they just weren't weren't ready for that. We also have a shiny new set. What do we think of this? There we go. No expense spared. (laughs) Or if you're the host, no expenses spared. (laughs) Taxi. If he continues doing this, and by which I don't mean kicking RTE (laughs) because there's only so much percentage to be added out of that, but if he continues to be as sharp and as acute about other subjects of public interest over the course of the season, that will be a very different style from what we got out of Ryan Tuberty, who, whatever you may think of him, was very middle of the road and very establishment and didn't like frightening the horses. 
I mean, it was a monologue of two parts, though, wasn't it? It was a spiky, good quality stand up at the at the start. And then there was, you know, quite an emotional and from the heart explanation by Patrick Kilty of who he is, who he feels himself to be, his family roots in, in Wexford. I think that was very deliberately mentioned. The family had moved moved north. The fact that the late late show was important when he was growing up, was growing up in County Down. Before the border was drawn on this island, my grand Achille moved from Wexford up to County Down. Um, that trip wasn't exactly planned, and he and his brother had to stop over here for a few years in Dublin in the industrial school in Artean. But his journey is the reason why myself and my brothers grew up watching this show on a Friday night in County Down with my mum and dad. I'm proud to say that the Keelys are still watching this show from County Down tonight. Hello, mum. And some His own personal family background, he didn't go into detail of it, but I'm sure the vast majority of people know it. And it's also very Mary McAleese then subsequently mentioned it. Mentioned it too. I'm happy to leave it to the terms of the Good Friday Agreement. It was hard fought for. It was, and a lot of people, including your daddy, died for it. So do you know what? To respect those people, let's just leave it to them. I read an interesting piece by Alison O'Connor in the Sunday Times yesterday where she, she drew a sort of a comparison, I think, at one point between him and Drew Harris. Here's two, two people from the North whose lives were deeply transformed by the troubles in both cases. Their fathers were murdered, respectively, by uh, loyalist and Republican uh, terrorists. Uh, Patrick Keelty has spoken very impressively about this. He's shown through that that he's not just an entertainer and, uh, and a comedian. He's a man of some substance and some and some integrity. And then ultimately, I think then at the end, towards the end of that monologue, he, he, he teared up slightly. There's no way I ever thought that I'd be standing here this evening, but I am so, so happy I am. Thanks for joining me. And it truly is an honour of a lifetime to be able to say, welcome to the Late Late Show. And I think that would probably play very well. It was definitely authentic. He well, it played well to me, I thought. Yeah, me you too. You know, me very too. sort of warm. He seemed very warm. He also seemed incredibly relaxed. And I thought that was really noticeable. And maybe it's because, you know, we were thinking about the previous incumbent in the chair, who wasn't, Ryan Tuberty, never was. Now, there was a, a theory, wasn't there, that, that this was an opportunity for RTE to sort of modernise the Late Late Show. It had had the same presenter for 14 years, 14 seasons. Tell me about the modernisation. Was there much sign of that? Well, there's a new set. Um, I didn't like it very much. Uh, now, you can say that's an aesthetic judgment, but I think it didn't work very well. I think some of the some of the problems which were there are, have always been there. RT is trying to mount what is really these days a very technologically complex production, which is you know an hour and a half of live television in, in front of an audience. And um, the camera angles weren't great. There's a wide shot where I don't know about you, but I was searching to find out where everybody was in it. I just seemed to be stuck in a dark warehouse somewhere. There, there, there were a few little glitchy things, which I suppose can you know can be smoothed out, you know, people not knowing which camera to talk to and things like that. I, I, I wouldn't worry so much about them, but the, the set was kind of awkward. And of course, there's always that problem with music. There was less music on this show. There was only one performance, but as usual, it sounds like... There's a house like, band, though. Uh, there is the house band, as usual. As usual, though, the music sounds if it's coming from the bottom of a cistern. Um, there, there appeared to be a violin on stage. It certainly wasn't audible on my TV. Um, but that, there's nothing new about that. That has been terrible uh, for, for many years. Some people have remarked again of the American influence and the sitting behind the desk, which was there in the, in the, in the previous format. I suppose I found it 
and maybe we'll get used to this as the weeks go on. I thought it was quite spatially awkward the way people were arranged around the set, the way the presenter had to kind of crane his mm. neck to look at his guests and likewise they to him. That didn't really make for a sense of intimacy and comfort. Uh, this may not be the last time we make this comparison mm. in this conversation, but it didn't feel as cosy and warm as mm. Graham Norton did with his guests. Yeah, despite the fact though that one of the awkward things was the chairs that the guests are sitting on. They're all sort of jammed together in this really strange way. It struck me as a slight hair shirt set. You don't. You didn't get the feeling that much money had been spent on that and maybe that's the mood. One person took you a see? screenshot and they pointed out that there was a nail sticking out of the side of the desk, which okay. is not a great sign. Yeah, no, the desk looked as if somebody had found it in the prop room and brought it up and without giving it a bit of a lick of paint beforehand. Yeah. And the chairs, you know, they looked like the sort of chairs you might find in sort of an, up, an upmarket waiting room in a hair salon or something Not even like an that. upmarket one, actually. No, well, honest, you know, they, they, it all looked a bit cheap, but maybe that's the mood. Maybe Orty are so sensitive now to the spending of money that just in case, just in case we they'd be perceived to be throwing money at something, it's, whoa, Do you know pull what? back. Do you know back. what? Maybe you're right, but I think you may be also overthinking this. I, I, <laughs> I, I, I would love to have been there at the production meeting We said, we need to make this look as cheap and crappy <laughs> as possible so we don't get attacked for, okay, for spending well, look, too much well, money. Well, talk about overthinking. And if I was overthinking it, the reason for that is the guests. Can we talk about the guests? Please knock it over the bar for the two Johnnies. James McLean. <laughs> Former President Mary McAleese. Tommy Tiernan, Marina Blewett, and Hector O'Hookagon. So one of the things that occurred to me when I knew I was going to be talking about this was, and having read, you know, the vast amounts of hot takes coverage over the last over the course of the weekend is why do we pay much so much attention to this thing? Because to be honest, it's a fairly ratty little chacho past its sell-by date. And we know that the guests have been pretty unimpressive for many years. And here we are discussing why the guests aren't very good. The guests aren't very good because the guests haven't been very good forever, frankly. Um, and there's really no change there. Maybe your previous point about the set does apply here because it looks like a deliberate decision was made um, to just, you know, live with the fact that one of the key criticisms of this show for so many years has been that his guests are recruited from whoever's in the in the canteen um, that day. And God, that was certainly the case on this occasion. But is Mary McAleese was good. She was fantastic. And you know, Mary McAleese is, I mean, let's be honest she about delivered. Mary McAleese is your bog standard late, late show yeah, interview. Totally. How many times has she, I bet you she's been on at least 15 times on the, yeah. on, the, on the late, late show. But she brought a good bit more vim and vigour to the whole thing Definitely. than the comedians did. But does this not get back to the whole thing about Patrick Keelty? Was there, whole, was there not sort of an expectation that, oh, Patrick Keelty, he's lived in London and he, he's lived in LA. He'll be bringing this chock-a-block <laughs> contacts book. He'll be bringing all his He'd be saying, come on over. No, there was no glamour. But that's not really the way the world works. I mean, again, second mention of Graham Norton. It is just absurd to do any comparisons with what the biggest chat show in the United Kingdom, one of the biggest chat shows in the world, is going to be able to do, you know, in terms of attracting the Hollywood junkets, which come into London anyway, and which can then be pre-recorded, as opposed to getting somebody out to Mount Montrose on a wet, windy Friday evening at, at, at 9.30. It's just not going to happen. Um, and you and I know, because we work in journalism, it's bloody hard to get interviews. These things are really very controlled, you know. So the question is not why is there a bunch of C-list celebrities in the studio? It's why 
is it these C-list celebrities? Yeah. Or is there something you can do to move beyond the the to be honest, rather underwhelming Irish celebrity industrial complex. So is it fair to say then that Patrick Keelty delivered, but the producers didn't? They didn't give him guests? Yes, I think it is. I think they probably did set out their stall and they say, this is still the Late Late Show and these are the kind of people you're going to have on them. It should be said that the final guest, I think, was more interesting, intriguing, thought-provoking. James McLean, uh, I mean, not just a, you know, a, a multi-capped Irish footballer, but a very interesting political figure in terms of his unabashed republicanism and the fact that he's from Derry and didn't wear the poppy in, over, over many seasons. What's, what's the lowest point? Ben, with all of that stuff for you? Uh, at this point, um, there was an incident where, uh, which was very public, I highlighted it, uh, where, you know, I know it's, it's, it's false threats, but it's still not nice to read, where you say they're, they're going to burn your house down with your kids in it. They're going to tie your, your kids up and your wife up and make you watch while the house burns down. So that was taking a little bit more of a risk and maybe also setting out what is a key part of the guilty personality which he didn't shy away from he is a man of the north and he is interested in talking to people from the north not exclusively of course but there's this whole experience is quite timely in some ways isn't it because there's a lot of talk at the moment about unity and partition and what do people really think about you know mm. uh, the four green fields and and the idea which 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 I certainly hold which is that a lot of people who who claim to be committed to unity actually have a kind of a deeply ingrained cultural kind of a partitionism and don't take very nicely to them coming down across mm. the border telling uh, telling us what uh, what to do and so Again, as he had done at the outset of the show, I think by that choice of guest, I suppose he's really uh, making a statement about what Ireland is. It's an island of 7 million people as opposed to a, a country of 5 million people. Um, some people will be very enthusiastic about that, some people less so. Which gets to the other point that was talked about Patrick Keelty, that he's been, a, he's been out of Ireland for a long, despite the monologue, despite I am of Ireland, the whole thing he did. He's been out of Ireland for a long time. Do you think that counts? Do you think that's going to impact? I think that's probably in some ways more important um, or, or important in a different way, I should say, because I do think the Northern Ireland thing is important. Um, I think it kind of showed a little bit at times uh, that he had been away. There's there's there, there's one thing which which I wanted to mention and I, I, I was wondering whether to mention it because it kind of comes across as a, as a bit prissy or puritanical and I don't, I don't intend it in that way, but there was a recurring theme throughout the show and it was the theme of alcoholic drink. Uh, so you got the pub show, you've mm. got Pints in the Field. Yeah. Oh, man. Um, Pints in the Field is insane. That's our own festival, and it's like if a christening and a ploughing had sex, <laughs> you'd have Pints in the Field. It cropped up during the first interview when there was talk about spiking people's mm. morning coffees. It cropped up a lot, obviously, through the to Johnny's interview because that's a that's a huge part of their shtick. It cropped up with uh, going into the audience bit when there was lots of gags about Merlot. Do you realise that is the most rugby heckle I have ever had? <laughs> I think you'll find it's a Merlot, Paddy. It's a Merlot. <laughs> And, and essentially the, the drinking game in the Dundrum pub. And then there was the drinking mm. game in the Dundrum pub of free pint, more extra free pints for everybody. And my local pub has lost the run of itself completely. It's decided to have a drinks promotion tonight where every time I say the name of the village I'm from, the entire bar gets a free round oh, of drink. Oh. 
Now, each one of those was fine in its own right, and it is what it is. But what I saw happening there was a kind of a reflection of a sort of default nervousness that happens uh, in Ireland when Irish people or people who come into Ireland get nervous about describing what having fun means. It's, oh, sure, let's have another one. And it it speaks to me of a lack of confidence, maybe on Patrick Hilty's side. Now, some of those things obviously were scripted and not necessarily by him, but some of them came naturally from him too. But, you know, it's it's what Joe Biden does when he arrives in Ireland, isn't it? Yeah. And it's, a, it's a, in a weird kind of way, it's a similar sort of a stuff. So it speaks maybe of a bit of nervousness on his part, but just overall, it speaks of a kind of, there's a sort of a banality to it as well, isn't there? Yeah. What's your default? Your default is Asher, the crack, the crack. you know? Yeah. And it, it doesn't speak to me of the real Ireland, particularly the, if, there, if there's a younger audience, actually, the younger Ireland that I know. It's not that people are um, particularly, you know, abstemious, but they are probably younger people are more abstemious, interestingly, mm. than, than previous generations are. It's just a bit dim. Yeah. Bit well, shallow. I think also... Are we not all highly sensitive to this image, this paddy wackery drunken Irish image? Are we not really, really sensitive to it anyway? Increasingly. Well, it, it take a greater mind than mine to, to, to parse all of this. But I think what there is, is there's a weird kind of a disjunction between, on the one hand, being very sensitive to this stereotype of the drunken Irish. And on the other hand, some people at least being only too happy to wade into the stereotype and yeah. engage with it in, you know, full enthusiasm. I'll continue my conversation with Hugh Linehan after this short break. Did you see anything on Friday night that you thought, OK, oh, this is a reset. Well, I'm, I'm going to come back here. I'm, I'm going to turn this on again. Well, it comes back to the thing we were talking about at the start, which is the the show itself and to some extent the presenter, because I think uh, the things that we've talked about that were good with him is, you know, the fact that he's a person of substance, the fact that he can be very funny. Um, that's all great. Can he do a, a good interview? It's a little hard to tell because he wasn't given a very good hand of cards to deal with. And I think that's going to be a a big question over the next while. James McLean was an interesting choice, but it was also a tough interviewee, to be fair, not somebody who's necessarily very comfortable or, or fluid in front of the camera. I thought Patrick Kilty did uh, did okay with him. It still remains to be seen if he's a really good interviewer. To my mind, a really good interviewer is somebody who can throw away the, the card with the list of questions and just let the conversation take it where you will. By the way, Ryan Tuberty was never very good at that. He stuck always to the list to to the list on the card. So that remains to be seen. But the key question is the choice of people who are in the studio with him. And really, they can't go on with that level of, of, of guest, by which I don't mean they're going to get superstar celebrities, as I said, they're not going to get them. But it needs to become a discussion that is entertaining and interesting in the same way as Tommy Tiernan is a lot of the time. You just don't feel, you feel you don't know where the conversation is going to go. That may turn out well, it may turn out badly, but it means it's something that you're going to watch. Now, The Late Late Show, the viewership figures have slumped. But that's consistent across all linear TV. 
obviously, but they've slumped quite considerably. Like last year, Ryan Tuberty's last season. And we'll exclude the toy show because that the toy show was the most watched TV show in Ireland. But even that, that lost... 150,000 viewers. So so that was even on the that's even on the slide. But last year the average viewership was 450. But that hides the fact that some nights, some Friday nights, it went down as low as 340,000. So it's a very the numbers are falling and they're small. But as you said, that is true of all linear television and that is true of all linear television everywhere. I think in the United States, just in the in the last 12 months, for the first time, they've got to a point where more than 50% of television viewing is not linear television in a classic sense. So all the, you know, it's all going in one direction, you know, essentially. And I suppose with, with live television in particular, the only stuff that seems really to be able to hold on to figures is sport. So, I mean, I don't think there's any saving the Late Late Show in that sense, you know, that you're going to bump the figures up again or anything like that. It's a, um, in the in the immortal words of the manager of Spinal Tap, its appeal is becoming more selective uh, and that will continue to be the case. There is a business theory called the innovator's dilemma where if you are the, the market leader and then suddenly you find yourself being, your bum is being nibbled at by little more nibble com, nimble com competitors, at some point you have to say, I need to get down with them and stop doing this old thing I did, even though this old thing is still paying my lunch, which is obviously the case with The Late Late Show mm. because it is very lucrative. It's a kind of a cash cow in terms of the amount of advertising it generates. But at a certain point, and maybe for the overall culture of RTE as well, maybe you just have to get let, let go of these, you know, these sacred cows and, and move on to, to something fresh. I'm just not sure Patrick Keelty's contract is for how long? Three years? Will the Late Late Show be around in five years? I'm not sure. I'm Mind not you, sure. I didn't think there'd be newspapers around in 2023. So well, and here we are. Well, <laughs> <laughs> though, as you said about the, the commercial attractiveness of it, it's worth pointing out, while the figures are definitely on the slide and that's consistent with the market, the market share of the Late Late Show is still huge. Of a Friday night last year, of all the people watching linear telly at that time, 40% of them, we're watching The Late Late Show. So it's huge. It's still really attractive for advertisers. And I think it's notable that they did find a sponsor after all the hand-wringing this summer that with Renault, we all know Renault sponsored The Late Late Show now, that when Renault obviously weren't going to sign up again and there was talk that it was a tarnished brand and nobody would sign up to, to align their own brand values with the brand values of The Late Late Show, um, that didn't prove to be the case. No, they got an Irish bank and as we know, they are, you know, everybody loves Irish well, <laughs> banks. They've got such a, such a close bond with well, Irish people. Well, what struck me about that, about permanent TSB coming in and, and sponsoring them was that it was clearly hurried and last minute because what, has to, what tends to happen in these situations is that a sponsor, they do a very glossy sting, there's a little special ad, there was nothing. It was a slide. It was a, like a five second slide from like 1972, like etc. But didn't that contribute to part of the general sense of cheapness which you think may Maybe a, a cunning strategy, I think there's which hair is shirt. you know the, the 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 graphics looked as if they'd been put together by a TY student as well. So there was a whole sense of that going on. Hugh, I think it's really fair to say that there is tremendous goodwill towards Patrick Keelty. There is goodwill towards the Late Late Show, the Heritage, and and so on. What do you think? How do you feel? Well, first of all. I wish Patrick Keelty well. You couldn't not like him and you couldn't not admire him. I like him and I admire him. So I hope he makes a good fist of this. And if he makes a good fist of it, well, then the show, by definition, one would think, would uh, would be a success. I think always 
if if they are to succeed, they kind of take a shape around the shape of the presenter. They kind of, they, they play to their strengths. They avoid their weaknesses. But I would really hope that a Patrick Kilty-shaped Late Late Show over the next few years could actually reinvent the form in a way that, that would cause you to come to the show at 9.30, not always by accident, which is, to be honest, is the way that I've done it a lot over the last few years, but actually by design. Thanks very much, Hugh. My pleasure. That's it for today. For more Irish Times journalism, including Hugh Linhan's column, subscribe at irishtimes.com forward slash subscribe. I'm Bernice Harrison. This episode was produced by Declan Conlon. In the news, we'll be back tomorrow. Tomorrow.